I guess one of the main things we figured out about storing food is that we're cheap and sort of proud of it. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of January 31st, 2013. We're going to be talking about storing food, and it's uh, part two in a series of podcasts about food storage. We began last week by talking about growing things all the time and the fact that we didn't have to do a lot of food storage. And so we take up this week and talk about those times when we do need to store food and a couple of the things that we've learned over time about how to do it effectively and how to do it at a low cost. Right. And and uh, we today will share about um, some major ways that most people know about canning, freezing, a little bit about drying, and finally our root cellar. Um, we, one thing learned, we learned very early on was label everything because if you have something in a, sitting in your deep freeze in a container or a bag and, you know, the frost covers over the outside of it and you can't tell what it is, it's pretty useless. You also, cause you have to thaw it out to find out what it is. And, and it one may of the be, things we did was to splurge on a label maker. Yeah, it was, that's been very useful because then, um, it's, it has adhesive, but when you're finished using it, you can strip it off and reuse the container. It doesn't leave it tacky or... Um, yeah, and we don't mark on the container. Right, we're able to reuse like the that. containers. So. And our labels have a standard form. We use uh, the you know the first two digits or the year, the next two of the month, the next two of the day. So it's always in sequential order. And then we finish with a little bit about what it is, although you can generally tell from looking at the outside mm-hmm. of the container what it is. Well, that's true with canning. I think with freezing, sometimes it's harder to tell, like the difference between black-eyed peas and... And um, kidney beans. Kidney or beans. Like yeah, that. I mean, yeah. It, it is helpful to have, have a complete label. And we've got a couple of containers out there that we would not recognize them unless we had the label telling us what they yeah. are. So yeah. I think it makes sense to label everything that you're going to be storing, mm-hmm. particularly to include the date on which you uh, put it up mm-hmm. because you always want to eat your oldest first. Right. And so let's talk about canning. One of our principles that we've arrived at is to do as much as you can at one time. Um, obviously, there's a limitation on how many jars will fit in the in the uh, canner. That's right. But um, we try to maximize that and so that we don't go to all that trouble with all that you know sterilization of jars and boiling water and you know canning bath and all that and then have two jars to show for it that That's wouldn't right. make any sense and just getting the canner out is you know it, it takes a, a little bit of a, a hassle and so forth yeah. so and particularly if you're doing water bath you're where you're you're heating up a huge quantity of water yeah once you get that heated up if you can use it for three or four batches that's great that's very helpful and and water bath canning is the first type that we did and it was simple but and we were a little intimi- intimidated about uh, pressure canning, but after we did it a few times, 
it's really not as scary as we thought it would be. And it's all about following the directions meticulously, and we are careful to do that. Yes, we are very careful because we do not want to have food poisoning or poison somebody else. We are careful about it to the point of being probably overly cautious. But um, and, and we noticed as we've done some canning that there are some changes in the way the food, the texture of the food. Most people who've done any canning know this. But if you were counting, counting on there being any turgor left in your vegetables after you can them, <laughs> forget it. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're very mushy. Particularly and, on pressure canning. Right. You just have to cook it so long that um, it, you're really not going to have anything left but the taste. But it's good for stews, and really, when we canned all those beans, they were tasted fine just to put in a, you know, I just take those out, put them in a corningware with a little bit of whatever seasoning we want, and they're delicious. Don't even have to cook them that long. And we so. have frequently eaten them with no seasoning at all, and they right. taste good that way yeah. as well. Yeah. A lot of the recipes call for salt, as if salt is somehow necessary for canning, and we've learned that it's, it's not. Yeah. And and we don't use any salt when we can uh, vegetables. We no. just put it up with no salt at all because we don't use salt when we cook vegetables fresh. And if somebody comes to eat with us who would like a little salt, you can always add it. So That's right. it's harder to take away. In fact, it's impossible to take away salt, but one can add it later. Exactly. And then, of course, for acidic foods, like when we have cooked, um, mostly when we've done jams and jellies, that's our that's main, right. um, with fruit. That, you, you can use a water bath can canning uh, processor, and it's much easier. It's easier. You don't have to cook it as long. There's a little more turgor that survives that process mm -hmm. than makes it through on the pressure canning. Yeah. Um, however, we have learned that not all fruits can be water bath canned. For example, figs. Figs are not right. acidic. Yeah. So when we put up figs, um, we... A lot of people just add lemon juice to the figs, and then they add enough sugar to counteract the lemon juice. And for us, it's simpler just to pressure can them. Right. And the last time we did that, they were delicious. Yeah, it was It was great. just the pure fig flavor. There was no sugar added. We didn't have the lemon juice. So um, that's as soon as these trees actually start producing enough figs, uh, we will try to make that a regular we thing. will be putting up figs and and we use it as jam but it's really just figs that's mm. really it is figs yeah. just figs <laughs> don't add, don't add any flavoring don't add any lemon or sugar or anything else it's just figs right. anything else we need to cover on canning probably in a future podcast as we've done more of it we'll have more to say but right now we've I think that's that pretty much covers. Yeah. It. Oh, one thing we did discover um, that we preferred to do a quart size container whenever possible. Uh, True. Sometimes with a jam or it's a jelly, almost not worth. Yeah, if you're doing jams and jellies, they can be, they small, can pint. be smaller. But for vegetables, it's almost not worth it right. unless you're doing a quart at a time. And we discovered we really prefer the wide mouth canning jars. True, much easier to, to deal with. Um, and of course. Like a lot of people, we save our jars because they're going to be sterilized anyway. Um, but the lids, you can't really use again. And the bands, you can, but I've noticed a lot of them rust and don't uh, Yeah, Yeah, you and well. I have a difference of perspective on that. What I would love to see us do is as soon as we are finished and they're cooled, 
remove the bands and save them in a place where they're not as, not as exposed to the elements, then they won't rust. But I like having the band on there, and especially if you're going to give somebody a container. So I, uh, But you not... can always put the band on it if you're about to give it to somebody. I realize that, but I just like them on there. It's a comfort okay. thing. <laughs> All right. Um, but that, that's something where you and I don't see eye to eye because I, I think it would make more sense to store it with no band, and then if you want to give it to somebody, put a band on it before you hand it and, to And them. we probably should say as long as the seal is intact, the bands really don't make any difference. They don't. That's right. They don't. the The lid is held in place by the vacuum of the jar. It doesn't need the band to stay in place. Okay, let's move from that then to freezing, which is probably the bulk of our food storage. Right. right I was now. going to say that is we're we're pretty much experts on freezing because that's what we've done the most. Um, we probably should have bought stock in Ziploc because we bought. Ziploc containers, and we've bought Ziploc bags, and um, and I'd prefer I don't like the ones that are like a, a zipper type. I like the um, the kind that the original kind of Ziploc, except they're even better now, where you just kind of uh, fasten it together and match. And it. we splurge and get the freezer one mm-hmm. gallon bags. They mm-hmm. hold up better over time yeah. because we are big on reusing those bags. We buy disposable, but then we don't dispose. And we we'll should reuse them. That's true. And we should probably clarify just from a sanitation standpoint, when we reuse a Ziploc bag, it's not to put raw food in there again. It's usually to put something that we're like, if we cook a lot of chicken ahead of time and want to wrap it up in individual meal-sized um, portions, exactly. we'll put wax paper around that and put that in a Ziploc bag that uh, we've rinsed out carefully with hot water and dried, you know, but, but it doesn't have to be sterile. I would not, but for example, when we freeze blueberries and I freeze those in, um, smaller, well, uh, actually sorry, one quart. in quart size bags that we then put inside a gallon Ziploc. That yeah, keep, we keeps, really cannot reuse those because the berries just permeate that yeah, bag and yeah, it's those, discolored. That's, and, to, that's ready for the garbage. Um, and also because we freeze our blueberries um, not washed because that's one thing we're given to understand is if the less you do to damage to um, handle those blueberries before you freeze them, the better. That is, you know, just that they're very uh, delicate, their skins are, and you don't want to bruise them, have them break open. So I just put them in there unwashed, and then I'm sure to wa- I'm careful to wash them before we use them. And I put them in there unwashed, and then when I'm ready to eat them, I just eat them without washing them. You know. <laughs> I, that doesn't bother me so much because they're either blueberries that we grew here or that we pick at our friend George Brown's farm. He's organic. We're organic. So, you know, it's not. And, and we don't put, pick them up off the ground. We're yeah, harvesting we, those from the tree. I may tree. get a little bird poop here and there, but I'm not oh, worried very about funny. that. I'm, well, it, it really is. There's a chance that I'm getting a little bird poop here and well, there. Well, that's why I'm if you come to our house as a guest, it. I'll make sure the blueberries are washed. How about that? <laughs> you can eat whatever you want to, Lee, but I'm going to do that. But um, let's talk a little bit more about the way we approach this with the uh, Ziploc containers and the Ziploc bags. Okay. The Ziploc containers we use for liquids like soups and stews and that sort of thing. Uh, if we have black-eyed peas. Or black-eyed uh, yeah. peas, something that that's, fo- that's thoroughly liquid so that mm-hmm. it will flow into a container. What we've learned is if you try to put solids in a container, you end up 
with a whole lot of air in your deep freeze, and yeah. um, where our deep freeze gets full use, it's about 14 cubic feet. Um, so it's not a huge deep freeze, but it's plenty of uh, freezer space for us and and for us to have some to give away. So it, it, it's plenty of space, but one of the reason it's plenty of space is we're careful not to waste any space. Um, and then on those bags, what we do is we'll take um, meat or vegetables or whatever, and we will wrap individual meal-sized packets with a wax, piece of wax paper and then put several of those packets in a Ziploc bag. It gives them, they're thoroughly sealed, yet there is no contact between the food and the Ziploc bag. Right, and I should mention when you say vegetables, most of the time with my vegetables, I don't, well, if there's something straight from the garden that I haven't um, blanched or cooked, it's usually something that's going to just be um, put directly into a Ziploc bag, and then I just get a new one out. Um, here's I don't some ex- mind washing up after a, a, like if you've used a Ziploc for tomatoes. Well, that's true. Some of those I'll reuse because I want to talk about how we do tomatoes. Yeah. Those, you're not going to end up eating the skin off that tomato anyway. So yes, if that were used, the main thing is to make sure there's not a hole or a, an abrasion in the bag so that you, the air escapes. You want a nice tight seal. But what I do for tomatoes, and a lot of people are intrigued by this because, um, they're, Belief is that you have to um, can them or, you know, go ahead and blanch them or cook them some and, you know, freeze them that way. No. Um, I read read about this online. Forgotten where to give credit now, but great idea because whoever it was pointed out, in the summertime when you're harvesting your tomatoes, that is when you do not want to be hunched over a hot stove cooking a bunch of tomatoes. But what, you don't mind doing it for your salsa and your stews in the wintertime when it's cold outside. So what this uh, source recommended, and I've done it successfully, highly recommend it to, to the public, is I take tomatoes that I just harvested and I put them on a... freshness and the, flavor. Right, and put them on a baking sheet and not touching each other, just uh, on a baking sheet in the deep freeze. And if you have a good size freezer that doesn't have too much in it, you can do it just on a regular, you know, top of the refrigerator freezer. Anyway, let it sit there overnight just so they can freeze really well. When you take out the tray the next morning, they're like rocks. I mean, they're solid. Then you can put them touching into a Ziploc bag. You know, just burp as much of the air out of the bag as you can, seal it up, stick it in the in the deep freeze. In fact, I usually don't fill up a, a whole gallon Ziploc in one time, so I can reopen that same bag, add some more tomatoes later after I've frozen them. But um, the beauty of that is the reason you freeze them ahead, not touching, is that way they don't, through their moisture, stick to each other. And you can pull out one tomato if you want to later on, or mm-hmm. five, or how many ever. Then, when you're ready to use them in your stew, you uh, take them out, run some hot water over them. I just put them in a colander. And that skin, as they thaw, just slips right off. And then you are ready to cut them up and use them however. Um, I've frozen okra that way as well. Just put my fresh okra on a tray, not touching, and... Um, put it in a Ziploc bag for for later use. And it works great. Works great, yeah. And the okra, interestingly enough, seems to retain a good bit of its consistency. It's not the same as eating fresh okra. It's been pretty good, yeah. But it holds up fairly well. Yeah. I so. did it with peppers as well. Um, banana peppers, hot peppers, 
bell peppers, although I usually we usually eat the bell peppers. I have very few of those to put up. Yeah, but we, we, had, we aspire to have too many bell peppers yeah, and have to store them. But we had um, a bumper crop of banana peppers and Anaheim and cow horn peppers, that sort of thing. And so those are good, too, for a stew. Not not great for a salad because they're going to be all mushy, just the way the tomatoes will be. But um, to cut up, to put in a stew, they're fine. So I Or a soup, whatever you're cooking. Or, you know, even just if you wanted to cook a bunch of tomato and okra and peppers together or something. Just something that once it's cooked, you're not worried about the fact that it's been frozen. I don't feel comfortable leaving the subject of freezing without addressing the issues of keeping a deep freeze cold no matter what. Um, For better or for worse, smart or or dumb, we made the decision when we began this subsistence farming experiment that we were committed to keep that deep freeze cold no matter what it took. Right. So we have... um, standby generator and we're in the process of adding PV so we will have multiple redundant sources of electricity to make sure that we keep the deep freeze cold. Once you do that, uh, the deep freeze is remarkably efficient as a way to keep food fresh and ready to enjoy. If you have a full deep freeze as we do during most of the year, um, it really costs less than you would think to keep the freezer going. So we're committed to it. Um, yes, there may come a time when we will not be able to do that, and when that time arrives, we'll deal with it. But for now, it seems to be working well for us. Right. Um, one other item that we usually have in our deep freeze that takes up a good bit of space when full is we buy wheat berries from a local farm. And... Um, store them in the freezer, and then when we're ready to um, bake something whole wheat, we just get that out and we um, chop them up in our whisper mill, which is... Uh, yeah, and right now our deep freeze is not quite full enough of those wheat berries. Yeah, we need to them. replenish our supply of wheat berries soon, and we hope we will be doing that. But that's a great way to um, always have a ready supply of whole wheat flour and freshly ground. It's really... And, of course, if we grind too much of it, we just put the, uh, that's another thing we freeze, we put the ground flour into a big Ziploc and put it back in the freezer. So um, that's another practice that I highly recommend and uh, makes for some really good food. Speaking of freezing grains, uh, you have discovered that we now need to begin freezing our cornmeal. We had a little issue with... some kind of bugs. Some tiny little corn. bugs. Yeah, I'm not sure what they, uh, mealy bugs or something, I don't know, but uh, just in the pantry. So cornmeal, and that's another thing I hope to get into in a big way, by the way, with my growing, um, is growing corn for meal, grinding that. We, we did that a couple of years ago, and I think we even talked about it on a podcast. But we just know from experience, once that cornmeal is ground, it needs to also go into the freezer in a Absolutely. Ziploc bag. And, and we will... We will no longer store cornmeal except in the freezer right. after that experience. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about drying. We've had, and this will be a short <laughs> segment because we have not done much with this. The main thing is so, just a few herbs I've dried. And, um, you know, they've been pretty much like what you buy in the store, which are dried herbs uh, in the spice section. So uh, 
there's a lot more I'd like to do with that. In fact, for Christmas, I got a, I, you gave me, very nice and appreciative of, with it, um, a mortar and pestle so that I can do a better job of when I get some dried herbs, grinding them up to the appropriate size, putting them in a little jar so that we can use those instead of having to get store-bought ones. Okay. Um, we are, one of the things that we will do at some point is make a solar food dryer. We have not yet done it, and it's not high on the list of things to work on, but we know that is coming. Um, and we hope that in the summertime when the sun is high in the sky that it will produce enough drying to pull all the, the necessary moisture out of that food. But it's possible here in the hot, humid south that we may need to finish it with an electric dryer. Yeah, we just we, the jury's out on that. But it, it'd be nice to be able to dry some peppers and some uh, fruit once we get enough fruit growing. Uh, have some dried apples, maybe do some sun-dried tomatoes. Just a lot of possibilities that we could do use to extend the uh, use of the food that we've grown during the year. Anything else to say about drying? Nope, other than we, we hope to have a better report on that next year. Yeah, we've, we've got some learning to do on that. Ditto with the root cellar. Uh, we have a 12 by 16 root cellar that we built into the basement of the lodge, and we believe it's going to work well. We have not actually stored any food there. I guess this is one of those times when I ask for... Uh, permission to whine. It was just a crazy, difficult summer for both of us. And as a result, we did not put any food into the root cellar uh, at the end of the summer. Well, it's a combination of things. First, for one thing, we didn't really have some of the kind of food to store that we'd had in the past. The uh, voles ate my sweet potatoes. The uh, squash bugs were getting the squash so much that I decided not to plant any. And I'd so we didn't, you know, we in the past we'd had pumpkins, we'd had sweet potatoes, we'd had spaghetti winter squash, squash, spaghetti, yeah, different kinds of winter squash. Um, that we just did not have this year. But even so, I lost my garlic because it got too hot, and I probably should have stored the garlic in the root cellar, and I will next year. And we're learning about that. Right. One thing we know is that from our experience earlier, when we did have sweet potatoes and we did have winter squash, we were successful storing it for many weeks, going on months, just sitting in the storage room here in the barn. Yeah. So we assume that if it kept in the storage room, it should keep at least that well, and we hope better Hopefully in better. the root cellar. And we have some shelves in the root cellar, so we can also use that as a place to store our jams and jellies or the different uh, yeah, canned and goods. one day wine. And wine, yes. So... It's, it's going to be nice to have that facility and that ability to store. Um, and that's another way that we'll extend our um, productivity from the farm. Well, I guess this is time for you to wrap us up then. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for inviting us into your home today, and we hope that you have a great week, and we'll catch up with you next time. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. 
Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.